Welcome to Digication Scholars Conversations. I'm your host, Jeff Yan. In this episode, you will hear part two of my conversation with John Regan from Boston University. More links and information about today's conversation can be found on Digication's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Full episodes of Digication Scholars Conversations can be found on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. You are about to hear part two of our conversation with John Regan from Boston University. Please be sure to listen to our previous episode to hear part one of this conversation. Clearly, the lack of diversity today in um, many higher education institutions has, has, um, you know, has problems and students are recognizing it now. So since you work closely with a lot of the students, you know, so in the front line, you are working yeah. with them, you are seeing their reaction, you're seeing how they learn. Um, how do you feel that, you know, students in the last, I don't know, maybe a couple of years, you know, a few years, how they might have been different from perhaps the last generation of students? Um, because I, I feel like that when I talk to Natalie, when I talk to other folks, everyone's seeing some kind of change in the tides. You know, they themselves seems to be more demanding of the the diversity itself. Um, uh, they themselves are a little bit more. Um, they hold themselves to a a a certain standard in terms of mission and purpose in life and doing good and and so on. I in fact talked to yesterday with someone who's I thought was really incredible. She's a uh, uh, um, I think she's a director of a career services um, at a at a school in in New York and and she was telling me that today her students are not holding getting a job at Facebook as a badge of honor. It was, but it's not today because of the way that Facebook has yes. has what what they've done, you know, and what the, the type of things that they've done. And we were starting to talk about, wow, it's almost like seeing a certain kind of history repeating itself, you know, like it's not cool to be an executive at a tobacco company, <laughs> you know, like you're right, going to right. tell people, oh yeah, my, my, yeah, my yeah, son yeah. or my daughter is a VP at, uh, at, at a tobacco company, you know, um, so it's a, it's really interesting because there's almost like a breaking point, and I don't know whether we're there yet, but there is you know sort of a sense of um, a deep sense of justice that goes yes. a little bit beyond sort of the last generation of folks where you can always justify I need to make a living or I need to make ends meet that therefore I do this um, it's just business you know kind of thing yeah. What do you no, think? I yeah. I totally concur. I I mean I I and I think it's been the same time period this last few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the students. Um, I have, for instance, I had a student on my, on a, one of about one of my evaluations thank me for diversifying the curriculum or giving um, a reading from a Hispanic writer. I never had that before. Mm-hmm. Right. And then also too, you're so right about this. My um my um son is a junior and he's in data science and he was looking for internships and i think i mentioned facebook and he rolled his eyes like <laughs> dad you don't get it you know like, oh okay and uh and and i talked to other students as well i think they really want to do something with their lives that's meaningful mm-hmm. and i think in a i think there the difference may be if we go back to maybe i don't know previous generations maybe my generation who want to be do-gooders 
these 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 folks are they've thought about it more deeply, a little bit more pragmatically, and I have a feeling they're going to just be more successful. Mm-hmm. I, I think this. Yeah. I, I have great hope for our uh, our current students, and so then we get into why. Okay, um, and I remember back in two thousand and eight when we had the um, stock um, the stock market crash and all mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, and again at Boston University, I love our our um, you know uh, students from all over the globe. But given that it is a private institution, you know we do have a, a lot of students who are well off. Um, but I will tell you, after 2008, you know, 2009, 2010, students just those years seemed especially nice. And I don't know if it was then, you know, if someone did lose their job or they knew of somebody that some hardship made them not take their lives uh, as much, the, pri- the privilege of their lives as much for granted. Mm. So if we go to this group now, I do wonder about the pandemic and its impact. Um, I know for medical school admissions, they talked about how. Um, there was the Fauci effect that so many people, I guess they had 20% more um, applications and from people who originally, you know, were in like marketing or something yeah. like that. So I do wonder if the pa- pandemic uh, was, I, I don't think it was the total cause, but I wonder if it was an accelerant in the, uh, in this situation. And I, I've heard same, similar uh, numbers, by the way. And actually there is a, um, um, more than one uh, public health programs that really this last year have have you know highlighted the importance of what they do and and how people can make a difference and and like you were saying you know someone who was in marketing might go in public health really being able to say I am actually doing the kind of marketing work except I'm doing it for really specific purpose and is a very important purpose. So yeah. instead of yeah. going to work for Procter & Gamble or, you know, or Nike, right. uh, which, which is cool, you know, um, yeah. you know, to be able to work for, you know, whatever, LeBron's next um, uh, basketball shoes, right? Um, it's, um, it might be um, for them now, they're like, it's even cooler to be able to, to uh, spread a message that might save millions of lives. Yeah, um, it's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned um, Nike because I th- saw. I seem to remember this from about a year ago. A conversation. I think it was online. Somebody sent it out, and it was somebody who got a job at Nike, and they were teased by their 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 friends mm-hmm. for working for just a profit. And they said, "No, I'm working for like a charitable wing of them, the one thing that does their community outreach." Mm-hmm. And then they were like, "Yeah, you know." Yeah. So so maybe you know maybe the 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 workers and what workers are interested in could help push these corporations to be more socially responsible. Right. There's a potential for you know things to to work from within, and I guess that that was what happened. Sort of what happened with Facebook, except right, that right, yeah. the person got sort of shut down, and now she had to be a whistleblower. But you know, that's a whole, yeah. that's a whole mess uh, in yeah. and of itself. And I, I do think that that's a little bit sad, though, because to me, that spells the end of Facebook doing any more studies. Um, you know, because because yeah. you know that that has the potential of you know it's almost like the 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 advantage of of being. Um, can 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 they don't want to become liable, right? Almost like if you did right. a study, then you become liable. Um, let's let's shift gear for a little bit on um, one of the things that uh, I think Natalie and I talked about is you know we're 
we talked about, you know, sort of the current state of um, students and mental health. Oh, um, yes. It's, a, of course, a very real and serious issue that in many ways, to me, it's one of those issues that we, we can't put up. We can't afford to do it. It's there already. Um, we are already sort of late in, you know, trying to address it. How do you see that with your students? Because, um, you know, as a someone who's working in a classroom with the students mm-hmm. sort of on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis, what, what do you see? Well, first off, I just want to say you are so right about us being late. And I just want to say when I started my career like 30-something years ago, uh, I was going for a master's degree and I was put in a first-year classroom uh, to teach and really just had minimal, minimal supervision. And the first round of papers I got, I had a student who talked about how her foster parent had beaten her and that's why she had certain scars on her face. And I was totally ill-equipped to handle that. And you know, uh, you know, I, I didn't go through and at least I had enough sense not to like circle commas places and just like that. And I had an individual talk with her. But I so look back on that and think, what, you know, I needed help. I mean, I needed to to have some uh, um, have some training. And what's great about BU is we have a Terriers Connect training. That's terrific. We I went to it a few years ago, and they're going to bring it back. And they talk about all, you know, the procedures, how to talk to students, how to get them, guide them to the resources available on campus, what are some of the signs. And uh, I mean, just amazing. And uh, I, I really think before anyone goes in a classroom, they need at uh, minimum that that degree that degree of, of training. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing during the pandemic uh, that I noticed was that students really, you know, last year, 2020, students um, in Mar- I think in March we we were meeting on campus. Then they went back back to their to their homes, and and then through the lockdown, what they missed more than anything was that sense of student community. And when BU came back uh, in this past September, or, or excuse me, um, when they came back after that, and you could be on campus, I know so many, a number of students who rarely went to class because they could still do the class online. And you might say, why are they there? It's because that they missed that sense of community. And so I really think uh, during the pandemic, what I tried to focus on was that sense of community building. And uh, there's a terrific book by Gretchen McCullough, Because Internet. Um, and I teach uh, that book. There it is there. I don't get any royalties there, but great <laughs> book. And what she talks about, students love the book because she's kind of defending their um, their use of the internet. Students get beaten up. You're online too much. It's rotten your brain. But she talks about how it's really... Teens are not addicted to social media. They're addicted to each other and that sense of community. And so what I did uh, was I had the students in groups of three or four, and we gave them questions from all our, uh, all our courses, from Rhetoric, Humanity, Social Science, and they would have a weekly uh, 30 to 40-minute conversation around those questions with each other. And they would record it on Zoom and then post it on a special Digication ePortfolio. And we faculty would go in, listen to them, make a few comments here and there. Mm-hmm. But what was um, remarkable, and I talked to students afterwards, was that so many of them stayed well beyond the questions. 
uh, and, and would just turn off the recording, but then talk and, and get together. And it really, it, it really, um, you know, opened my eyes to, and again, I think always in the past, I, I don't feel as if I didn't create a sense of a good community. I, I did to a degree, but now I realize that, that that's so imperative. And that's why the, the podcast with Michael Yarborough and the community that he created mm-hmm. with his students, um, it was uh, amazing, yeah. That was amazing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it almost feels. Um, and I remember talking to a couple of the students, and they basically said, "You know, of course, I have my family, my 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 blood relatives, my 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 parents, etc., my siblings, etc., at home, that you know whom we are working with. But but this family that they built in this community." serves as the second family where they can talk about things that they actually couldn't talk about with their real family. Um, And they support each other in that way. And I thought that was really amazing. And, and to a, to a high degree, I think that, I think that this is the kind of experience that make higher education such a precious and important and Maybe it's not for absolutely everyone, but I think that for a lot of people who are discrediting discrediting um, mm. higher education or, or its usefulness, um, you know, it's something that you need to think a lot about because it's not about just having read all those books that is in your syllabus. It's about all these other experiences that come with it, especially during these years, you know, of. Uh, especially during those typical age, college age students. I mean, the you know, human brain doesn't get fully sort of formed and functional until twenty six, and in my case, probably a lot later. <laughs> right. yeah, but but um, but but it's a um, it's it's a it's such a it's such an important um, uh, holistic way of thinking about the growth of someone and having these experiences. You know, like the students organizing themselves to support each other. That doesn't come from a book. You know, it doesn't come even come from a a planned exercise. You kind of have to, they have to, it kind of has to, has to happen and they have to organize and they have to do it. And people that, that go through that experience, even though you're not the organizer, you still experience that. And guess what? Those experiences going to what brings you into the leaders of, you know, by the time you get into the workforce and later on in your career, that's the lessons that you're going to draw from, you know? Um, no, I, to- I totally agree. And I know in 2020, there was a lot of, you know, Cassandra calls about um, residential education. That, oh, we can just do it online. Let's do it online yeah. cheaper. And my, um, I have a friend of mine who's uh, in the corporate world, and he was telling me, all, all, all my friends are saying, oh, we're going to just send our kids online to school. Right. And then they don't. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, yeah. He's doing the college tours like everyone else, you know, or like so many others. Um, and yes, college, college uh, may not be, be for everybody, but I think education is for everybody. And I think that we just, you know, um, just need to provide, uh, you know, uh, the one thing that's good about the American system is you do have a lot of entry points. I know some other countries, once you kind of fall off through testing, things seem a little more limited. Here we do have a lot of entry points. Yeah. We just need to buffer those up, you know, yeah. much more funding for community colleges. And Jeff, shout out to you. So many of the faculty uh, from community colleges are amazing. Their stories I was listening to on the podcast, and uh, it, 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 it's really, really remarkable. And I mean, uh, community colleges just need so much more 
attention and, and funding as well. What is it like one out of every 12 college students in the United States goes to a California community college? I mean, yeah, uh, it's a, uh, it's a huge population it's and huge. it's a, it's a very vital part, I think of our education system. Um, and it might also in my, in my very limited view, um, it might actually be the, the, the system that saves the, the other colleges. Um, it may be one of those, um, system where, you know, without the community college, um, sort of, uh, uh, model, we might not, we might see a huge drop of people that can finish a four-year degree because they don't have a two-year degree that they can do in a more flexible environment in a more less expensive environment and, and so on. Um, I do think that, you know, the one of the problems I see really is that people sometimes almost attack higher education and saying how it's not useful. And they kind of come up with reasons, you know, examples of why that's the case. Because so, such and such college spend their money on building a, a lazy river. And, you know, how is that, how is, how is that tuition money going into real use? Um, but then they also don't see that, Colleges are also spending money on getting uh, mental health support um, that you won't get if you go to a, you know, your whatever brand of uh, online boot camp today, right? right, right. Um, so, so I think that there is, um, there is some aspect of what colleges do that are irresponsible. And I think that um, we talked a little bit about before, you know, the, 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 the football coach, you know, like, yeah. um, you know, sort of uh, um, uh, 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 ex- uh, uh, expenses uh, versus, you know, those the, the 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 money that goes into, you know, incredibly important and good good use. Um, so I I think that there is there is a certain amount of critique that I would have about colleges and not what they're doing. Some of yeah, it is about not being transparent, and so people just have this opaque box that hey, this is a really you know, nice college and all, but, you know, is that just basically my tuition goes into, you know, lining, um, you know, John, John's pocket. And, and I don't think it does, uh, <laughs> although if it, you know, <laughs> uh, but, but it's, it's, it's kind of more like, um, it's really more like, uh, um, you know, it's almost like, you know, the conversation isn't really even hitting the nail on the head. They're hitting somewhere else other than the nail that is on the head. You know, it's, uh, and so it's, it's a very confusing environment. And I, I hope that it becomes clarified over time as people get a little bit more knowledgeable about how, you know, the, the functions of the colleges and what, how they really contribute to the growth of, of students that go through them. Yeah, Jeff, I think, that, I think you raise a really great point about clarification. And I remember about 10 years ago, the University of Maryland, I saw like their spreadsheet for expenses. Mm-hmm. And I, it was really interesting. I never realized that they pay, you know, like college, the college would pay so much for heat and utilities, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think that if, if things, and you'd mentioned transparency, if we got to see what the books were, um, it, uh, zoom bomb by cat, um, <laughs> we might, um, I think colleges may fear, oh my God, they'll realize they're spending on this and that. It could be the opposite effect. Like, okay, granted, and then people who are critics might be like, yeah, we're still critics, and, and I have some issues myself. Uh, but some of these other expenses are understandable. Yep. And it makes you realize that that you know you do 
you know, the, uh, again, like for instance, fair wage. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, um, and uh, there's many unions operating at colleges that are doing great work and, you know, they are going for a fair wage. And of course that has to come from somewhere. So yeah, I, I, I do. Uh, I've always thought of colleges that were more transparent. They think they'd get all this, um, flack but i actually think it might be a little bit the opposite but that's i think you are i think you're absolutely right and i think that there are probably colleges who are thinking you know like and here is what i i would say is that even the most perfect colleges have pockets of inefficiency there are pockets areas where they go actually we're not that proud of spending money on this thing that didn't work and they're so scared to expose that that they are also now hiding the good things that they're doing. Yeah, um, and a, I, I think that that's uh, that's a uh, that's yeah. a um, probably over time they will everyone will realize that this is a mistake because yeah. you know like I do think that they gen generally speaking do more more good than they do harm <laughs> or they do right right no I, I they do no, it's silly mistakes because everyone makes a mistake. I'm not suggesting that they shouldn't every corporation yeah. every every entity does especially when you go to a certain size it's right. hard to make sure that your thousands of employees every single one is you know pulling you know 100% of their weight but right. realize that the general direction is actually really rather important and and that you know that's 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 quite important and as opposed to just sort of throwing out everything and and then you know claiming that you're disrupting the higher education except right. that you just don't understand it um, right so um maybe the very last thing i wanted to ask you given that you are such a hands-on practitioner having gone through that yourself and this is going to be a um a question sort of really probably more geared towards folks who might be listening who are faculty members similar to you who are, you know, who work with students on a day-to-day basis, but may not have taken the plunge on, you know, doing some of the more experimental things that you've done in the last, you know, decade. I know that at this point, you don't, you don't think of them experimental. You think of them as foundational and fundamental to what you do. But, but I would also imagine that as the director of ePortfolios, you know, working with all the different kind of faculty members that come your way, you also see you have experience working with folks that that doesn't at least initially share those experience because they don't haven't had it. Do you have any sort of quick tips or tricks that that allows people to sort of get started? Or do you have any recommendations? Anything like that? Well, I think I think one recommendation is start small. I think whenever if you want to experiment with it, I know so so often um, faculty members, you know, I, if if it's an assignment I've done for a while and I know how to uh, assess and grade it, I feel pretty confident in that. But when I bring in something new, I I kind of I have to admit I go easy on those. So uh, I, sometimes I'll make those smaller, like do it at a smaller scale. Mm-hmm. And then bring it up. So my my pretty developed assignment, which is thirty percent of the course, originally started as a little five percent germ, a little oh, seedling, right, right. and then moved up that way because I think that uh, you know um, 
you may not uh, you may want to st start small. And again, that goes for e-portfolio use as well. And we do have faculty that are resistant resistant to it. Um, what I try and do is you know just emphasize at the bare minimum can you get students to post one or two major assignments so that our assessment committee can take a look at it and i know with our assessment how we do assessment is you know we use the student e portfolios uh, and we we assess them by a committee we have a an assessment committee rather than having all faculty do um, the grading and then give faculty a rubric and do an assessment mm -hmm. of every student. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of work. And I know there's a lot of faculty resistance at other colleges because all faculty figure I have to grade and do a full assessment mm -hmm. that frankly would not work, would not work with, um, with, with um, our faculty. So we do try and, um, you know, uh, make it less onerous on those. And really, it, it, could anything be simpler than just tell your students to post one or two um, mm -hmm. things on their e-portfolios? And, and they don't need to create a separate e-portfolio because students have one e-portfolio for their entire two years in our program. They already created it somewhere else. Right. They, they already created it. And for some students, again, those that are really just you know, have bought into metacognition and reflection, they go in and see the different assignments for the different, and they start to maybe just by the, by the fact that it's there, mm -hmm. you know, in one spot, start to maybe think of some crossover ideas. Mm -hmm. That's one thing I, I, if I had to go back in time for how I've handled um, e-portfolio and assessment at our college, I think I would really try and push to, uh, to do more, try and look for students who had examples of that crossover mm -hmm. and, and push more uh, in that area. But um, that mm -hmm. said, we have um, our science program in the sophomore year mm -hmm. does some amazing things with the e-portfolio, mm -hmm. you know, um, which, which is really good for capturing multimodal learning. Right. Um, and let me ask you about that uh, assessment. I knew that I, I said it was going to be a last question, but you just brought up assessment. I want to ask about this. Having been doing assessment for, you know, using portfolios for a while now, do you have any sort of general observations about assessing work that is in the format of a portfolio versus assessing work, which is more typical in many other places where they're just collecting essentially, you know, the word documents that students submit as a paper, let's say, and they just get like hundreds of papers uh, yeah. versus seeing hundreds of portfolios um, or thousands of them. What, what, what do you think are the main differences in, is it worth doing it in a portfolio? Well, I mean, I, I think so, because it's just kind of, um, if you will, on the, gut, on the root level, one-stop shopping, you know. Um, I can access an e-portfolio at any time. Uh, my committee can. We can go in, go in and see it. Uh, all the documents are in the same place for all of our courses. Uh, so, I mean, I think collecting, you know, in a sense, the collection part's already done, whereas the methods you talked about, there would need to be some mechanism for collection, which would take, I imagine, certain woman hours to do or man hours to do. Uh, uh, that um, so 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 that that I think is, I I, I mean just just that idea uh, of of convenience. One thing I like about um, 
our ePortfolios too is that I tell students to put up a welcome message so that you'll see a picture of them and kind of their a, a little quick bio and what they want to study. And um, I find that I, I, I can go on and on about the about the welcome messages, but I just find that such an so so interesting. But yeah, I. I, I'm not sure. And, and we often, with faculty who do resist, we say, look, we're open. Can you come up with something that works better? And that's <laughs> right. where silence ensues, you know? Right. And it's kind of funny at Boston University because what I have is we have departments. I know our writing program deals with ePortfolio and has had a very successful assessment program and others. But I'll often have student uh, faculty, because uh, I'm on various assessment committees, oh, no, I don't want ePortfolio. I don't want ePortfolio. Then it's like a few years later. Uh, John, tell me a little bit about that ePortfolio, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I remember I had one faculty member who was like, well, you, we don't need the ePortfolio because we keep them all in some file cabinet. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, does anyone ever look at them? Well, no. Well, I mean, because you, you're going to make a special trip to go in, whereas online I could just pop right in sure. to any ePortfolio. So, I mean, I... I, I so I think just on a on a pragmatic level, and just one point to make is that we um, we came up with our assessment of our learning outcomes uh, back in uh, about 2008, and we applied to an educational foundation for funding, and they said this looks terrific, but what's the what's the 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 the, the medium? You know, you know, how are you going to collect all that? Or how are you going to do it? And that's when a certain Jeff Yan came up with digication. <laughs> And a match was made. That's uh, that's uh, thank you for, for for bringing that up. Um, yeah, it's a. I I actually I remember it was you know with uh, Dean the your previous Dean Linda Wells and Linda she Wells. Had, she had some really uh, amazing insights and vision you know to how yeah. this could work and I I just I really really deeply respect that. Um, and to a level that you know, even we weren't sure how it was going to work either. But it, we, I think that there were a lot of um, common vision in that. That you know, that that it feels like a, a good fit. And I, I wanted to point out something that I, I think that you were talking about just sort of the convenience, the pragmatic part of being able to pull work from, you know, in a digital sort of database in a repository is much simpler than pulling it out of files, even if it's a digital folders, because they're not tagged with anything. They're just yeah, yeah. loose folders. And what are you going to do with, you know, a thousand word documents in a folder? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I actually think that there is one more thing that, 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 I think also apply at a pragmatic level, depending on how you look at it, mm -hmm. which is, I think that if you were to, let's say that you go through the, 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 the resources that it takes, the additional resources it will take to organize thousands of Word documents to make them make sense um, versus seeing a thousand portfolios that had already been organized by the students in a very authentic and sort of unique ways. Um, and let's say that, you know, you, you've taken the time to do it, but just comparing one to the other, I think that the end result, meaning that if we were to take exactly the same student body mm -hmm. right. and take just the Word document, strip off of all context mm -hmm. and just put it in the folder and then someone organized it mm -hmm. um, to make some sense out mm -hmm. of them, Versus, you know, these portfolios that are, you know, sort of uniquely choreographed by each student. Mm -hmm. I think that two things happen. Mm 
Number one is just because a student can authentically sort of make that that combination of things in the exact way they want it and the reflection that glues between the different things and make connections. If you were to, for example, try to assess someone's critical thinking skills or, 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 or different kinds of reasoning skills, mm. I think you're just going to have a better opportunity to, to show and prove that the students have achieved those skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for the exact same body, you know, of work from the same, you know, same set of yeah. students, I would make this claim and I don't know, I can't really prove it, yeah. but I would make this claim that, that um, if you go through all of the rigorous, you know, assessment using a rubric and whatnot, you will score higher on the people that are using a portfolio just simply because they gave you more. They gave you their co-curricular stuff. We talk about Sama. They, they, it gives you that the fact that she went and organized a BU TED talk and 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 studied you know sort of the the life of women in Egypt you know by herself, right? right? right. Um, it's just something that wouldn't have existed in a word document um, that came from uh, an assignment because assignment number six didn't specifically ask someone to create a TED talk, right? Um, and so so I think that sort of from a you know, if you, you're on an institution and you're trying to really figure out how your student body is performing, right. um, the, you are almost artificially lowering the level of performance by ignoring the amazing achievements that they do, um, just that they might have achieved them outside of the sequence and the timing of exactly how you have planned it. Do you know what I mean? No, I, I, I can see that. I think it depends on what method um, people, um, assessors use. I mean, some people, if you're doing the signature assignment method where, you you know, it's going to be one assignment and look at, then maybe, maybe not as much. But I definitely agree with that. What I will tell you is I feel like I learned so much more about my program. Mm. and students in general. I love when I go in and I see a welcome message and here's the student I'm assessing, okay? And then I go through and I, I don't know, I just I just feel like I'm gaining so much more. When I started in our program, kind of um, almost in a sense, the first 10 years before we used ePortfolio, um, it's very important in our program. It helps if you learn a lot about what's going on in the other courses. I mean, so you can make substantive connections with those courses, but you're busy. You're teaching a lot of students, you know, trying to get published, keep your job, all kinds of things. You got all these (laughs) pressures. So, oh, I'll go to so-and-so's lecture next week. And and I I learned about our program, but it was kind of gradual. Mm -hmm. But then starting 2009, when I started to get involved and seeing all the the student work and I, I just it was almost like um I don't know like what is it Matrix or, or some of those movies where you take a pill and then you know everything <laughs> you know I felt like I learned so much so quickly mm-hmm. um you know uh, about uh, about student work and again I don't know about others but with faculty we used to always like share our assignments and a uh-huh. faculty'd give me an assignment and I'd be yeah. like okay this looks really good. Or if I didn't think it looked good, I wouldn't say anything, you know, but okay. But mostly I work with great colleagues and this exciting work, but I never saw the student's version of it. Unless maybe once in a while, a faculty member had like one to show off. Right. But I learned so much more about what they're after by seeing the student examples. 
You know, here's an example, a concrete example mm -hmm. of how a student responds to the assignment. And then you get to think about what worked. Uh, I remember one, one instance where I thought this was a terrific assignment, but there was one part of it I was a little hazy about. And then I read the student, a couple student papers and they were hazy. That was the part that was there kind of weakest in the paper. It was a great assignment overall, just this one little part. Uh, but see, that's the kind of thing. So I, I, I you know, I, I think for, for me, uh, it's been helpful. Um, again, we, um, uh, Natalie McKnight always says, a faculty member who have some resistance, if you have a better idea, let us know. And so far we <laughs> I love carry that. on as we do. I love that. And by the way, um, I, uh, I am always impressed by everything that you do, but I, it would be terrible of me if I didn't mention, and I know that you weren't going to, you know, um, toot your own horn too much here, but you have re recently also um, uh, received um, the um, College of General Studies Outstanding Service Award at Boston University, which is highly prestigious. And it's something that um, is awarded to folks like yourself who are selfless about, you know, going out and helping other people, creating that community, um, both, you know, at the faculty level and cross-departmental and program, you know, sort of across the, the, the campus, but also with the students. And I congratulate you for that. Uh, I also want to just say that um, uh, if anything, you know, there's um, a much further sense of just servicing at the CGS level um, I wish I could give you an award, but John, you um, also have been uh, a, a, just a fantastic contributor to the entire um, sort of e-portfolio scholarship and 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 and, and the, the community way beyond education, but you know, yeah. sharing it with the world. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's really fascinating. I'm so glad that we got to spend this time together, John. Um, and um, well. Uh, I guess it, it is um, it is time, uh, but uh, I hope that we get to talk again uh, pretty soon, and um, I hope uh, continue uh, in a con you know for continued success with all everything that you're doing in in the classroom and beyond. And uh, do uh, pop in sometime to say hi, and I'll, I'll I'm sure that I'll see you at some conference sometime soon. Oh, I look I look forward to it. Thank you so much, Jeff. It was really a pleasure. All right, take care. Digication Scholars Conversations is brought to you by Digication, a technology platform powering the most innovative e-portfolio programs in K-12 and higher education. Our website can be found at digication.com. This episode was produced by Drew Albanicius. Thanks for listening. <laughs>